0: got time for a quick story. Something uh, that would have been really cool to do while I was in high school choir would have been to sing with a famous artist. And it's really, really rare for that opportunity to come. We're getting our music education, learning about singing techniques, choral, singing. It, it, music education is a very, very awesome thing. And Sets a lot of us on a good path in life, whether we pursue a career as music educators or just sing casually or or whatever. Foreigner brings local choirs on stage. That is a thing they have started to do over the years. And in February of 2020, I got the opportunity to talk to Tom Gimble, multi-instrumentalist with Foreigner. He's been with the band for the better part of a quarter century First started working with them oh back around the early 1990s, and this was in anticipation of a show it was going to be at Treasure Island Resort and Casino uh, in eastern Minnesota, not all that far from where I'm based in Eau Claire, Wisconsin. That show got postponed because it happened. It was supposed to happen in mid March, right about the time that live concerts were being canceled and postponed due to the coronavirus pandemic. Nevertheless, the interview, of course, went went a uh, is something worth listening to. It was done again in February of 2020 before we, we knew this was all this pandemic stuff was going to happen and it's a it's a really fun interview with Tom Gimble, a foreigner, part 3 of our foreigner series on the Got Time for a Quick Story podcast. You'll hear about why they bring choirs on stage, local singers, local young singers in school to come on stage and sing with the with the group. You'll hear about that as part of this really insightful interview. We talk about a lot of stuff with Tom Gimbel of Foreigner, and I started the chat asking him about how often the band has come around this area into Wisconsin and eastern Minnesota over the years. <laughs> Countless times, Luke.
1: Countless times. I think we go every year. But uh, I remember Eau Claire in in particular having great shows there. And it's just that part of the country in general. People know how to rock.
0: Yeah. It's a very rock-friendly area around here. I've ever so often I'll hear rumors like, hey, Foreigner might be coming to one of the places around here. Like, oh, really? And, And you know there's going to be an audience for it. Yeah,
1: people understand we're like old school values with loud guitars and (laughs) traditional rock essentials.
0: (laughs) You know, for the mass and reading some of your interviews, and and you talked about foreigners' fan base and how it's it seems to be not just multi generational, but we're we're getting into beyond two at this point. We're getting into three generations, I suppose. We could be getting into four at this point. Uh, yeah. do, do you notice a difference among the generations in terms of favorite foreigner songs?
1: I see kind of a consistent response for the songs. I think there's always something in each one of these songs that appeals to somebody on some level. They're they're just it's like they're sparking on twelve cylinders. So a couple of those cylinders are going to resonate with someone, and that could be someone from any generation. So I, I see this broad-based appeal, and uh, it's, it really stays true over the response to the songs.
0: Well, as time has gone on, and, and all of your time in the band now, so going back to the early 1990s when you first started playing with them, have you seen yeah. any evolution in terms of favorite songs that have gotten a greater response as time has gone on? Can, can you, have, Are there any observances of songs that have... gone up or down or whatever in popularity as the decades have progressed?
1: I'm not sure I've I've really seen that, but if we went song by song, there are a a couple of really unique songs that we'll play around the world sometimes that we might not play in the States. Hmm. One of my favorites is That Was Yesterday. And, uh, p- people, I love talking about this stuff, like in the abstract, but it's also very concrete because whatever we talk about, you can go on YouTube and see it, right. you know, it's not just words or memories. They're right there. And, uh, we would play this song around the world in Germany or in Chile and the people would sing along and the volume of the, of the vocal coming from the audience was, uh, almost as loud as the band. So there, there is some, some unusual moments that happen for each one of these songs.
0: And it's fascinating that you mentioned that song in particular. That song has always felt a little... How do I put it? And and I... Just for the record, I was born in 78, so I I was... I I mean, I kind of grew up with the band being on the radio, and especially as I got older, I'd start to notice it. Mm -hmm. But that was yesterday is a little more visceral, maybe because I don't hear it as much as a lot of the other songs, so it's not... I mean, it's still kind of fresher here in the states. I mean, it was a hit single, obviously, but it, uh, yeah, but it, it's it's fascinating that that song got bigger, more overseas than even here in the United States.
1: It is kind of interesting. I, there's something very romantic about it, and uh, it's got a very emotional content. So maybe maybe that's why certain people kind of gravitate towards it It was always one of my favorites and it was on the jukebox i remember when it came out it was on the jukebox Mm -hmm. so maybe people hear it and they go oh yeah so many times we'll play songs and people will go oh i didn't know that was foreign or sure i know that song and it's great yeah mick jones will just kind of wink and go
0: Gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> well, and to that point, on his style of of writing and the band's overall style, and the combination of music and lyrics and combining the two, you having been in the band now, and so you you know the songs inside and out. I know you've commented on how Mick is not necessarily going to reveal how some of those tunes were initially created, but you 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 know the songs now. So, sure how would you? How would you describe why or, or what in the music? Is there, is there a certain way the chords follow each other? Is there a certain way the songs are arranged? Is there a certain way the lyrics are written and even into their verbiage that there's something about that music? I mean, obviously the performance, the, the, the voice of Lou Graham over time and, and the instrumentation of everybody. But is there something about the songs themselves that, have, that, you've go, that you can go, okay, this is why these songs are all so successful?
1: Like a signature trademark. Yeah. I see what you mean. I haven't noticed that because each one of them is so fresh. They, they don't really repeat themselves. And uh, I think that's why some people are songwriters and some people are songwriting geniuses. Uh, it takes a ton of talent and a ton of work. I'm not sure everybody knows that Mick Jones has been writing songs since the 60s He over in France with Johnny Holliday. Apparently they wrote like 100 or 200 songs together. So he was flexing that muscle. By the time he got ready for Foreigner, he had this wonderful mix of R&B and the sort of romanticism from the French music. And uh, not to mention the rock from the British uh, invasion, so he's this kind of triple blend of uh, probably more than that. I forgot to mention classical. He loves Stravinsky, and you can hear some some of those complex chords in a song like that was yesterday. Uh-huh. And when we went to do the uh, classical album with the symphonies uh, as they got involved with the arrangements uh, they were using mix uh, influences from Stravinsky and other composers so he's he's got a really broad based <laughs> set of core instincts and uh to do that much work and to have that much of a gift that's why he's in the songwriters hall of fame Mm -hmm. and it's probably another reason why the songs don't repeat themselves because it's kind of like fresh genius on each page
0: right uh what what is some a, a musical trait or any trait really about mick jones that the average per that well even foreigner fans may not know the sort of thing that you, you kind of have to be working with the guy to pick up on something what's something that's unexpected that you go actually hear something about mickey wouldn't know
1: <laughs> oh i'm sure there's a lot of things <laughs> uh he, he taught us how to iron you know that's huh. something a lot of bands do in the dressing room. Robert Plant came in one time. He's like, "Oh yeah, well, I like ironing too. It's very relaxing." So <laughs> <laughs> it's not exactly a saucy story,
0: but but it, uh, it's something.
1: We can start there for your for your PG crowd and work our way up.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I can only imagine all the possibilities out there.
1: Hang on, because I like to talk about reality based experience. Yes. People can go to YouTube and see Foreigner plays nude stock. When we played, uh, it was a nudist festival, <laughs> and they call it nude stock. <laughs> <God>. <laughs> and intercut with the concert footage, we were clothed. I thought about doing the sax solo with just like a jacket on, you know, and maybe some boots, and that was about it. But uh, I chickened out. Uh, the crowd was not clothed, and <laughs> Foreigner played nude stock. So there's something most people might not know. You can see Mick in sort of in a Roman toga kind of bath talking about uh, <laughs> colonialism.
0: <laughs> um, I've been doing these interviews for a while. I think that's the hardest I've laughed at any of them. That's, that's got to be it's a sight. True. Oh, my
1: gosh. Yeah. It's true. He he wasn't sober back then. Since then, he, he's given up uh, drinking. Mm-hmm. So, back in those days, that was not the case.
0: That was not the case. Yeah, you you. Per- I remember it well. Right, <laughs> and you've been to some incredible concerts, some incredible venues over time. Now, what yeah. venue or event? would you most like to perform at if you were given the opportunity some is some is it a whether it's a game or an award show or with some band on some tour what, what or some stadium what what would you most like to if you could do anything and snap your fingers and it would happen.
1: I'm sure anyone can guess this. It's nude
0: stock two <laughs> <laughs> that's a, a no brainer. Obviously <laughs>
1: This girl got on the stage during Hot-Blooded, and she leaned back on her legs, stark naked, and Mick was taking his guitar solo, and he was standing over her like, ah!
0: <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, my gosh.
1: Like us at a barbecue nowadays. You know, well, right, exactly, yeah.
0: Yeah, pretty much. Just the same, really. <laughs> but uh, aside from that, <laughs> I feel very,
1: very satisfied. I... Some of the stadium shows were fun. We love small shows, big shows. We've done baseball stadiums. We sang the national anthem at a San Diego uh, Chargers game. That was such a kick. I can't even tell you. Uh, so I do feel pretty satisfied. But you know, if you had a dream scenario, what did Billy Joel do? 30 nights at Shea Stadium or something crazy like that?
0: Yeah, something. Yeah, that doesn't like that. sound so bad. Right. That, that doesn't sound so bad. No, I think that would be a pretty good, pretty good one to end up doing. Um, <laughs> we did a we did a month with Kid Rock in Detroit. I
1: feel pretty happy about that. Oh boy! I had, I unpacked my suitcase. I was playing golf every day. Those are good times. We just did a residency in Las Vegas and one in Nashville. The world's getting better for folks like us that have been dragging our suitcases for
0: so many decades. What is your favorite song to play on each one of the instruments that you play in the band?
1: I'm not sure I have a favorite, uh, but my favorite instrument is singing. So whichever song we're singing the most, that I really get a kick out of that. People that have sung in any kind of situation would know that it just feels really good. Your body's resonating. There's something about singing that's really special. But uh, I look forward to that each night. And aside from that, the instruments kind of play themselves. (laughs) I always feel like the music is just trying to find its way out. And... um, I don't know, maybe that's from drumming. that We used to say that the drum, you tried to pull the sound out of the drum. You didn't try to hit it into it. Mm -hmm. You try and pull the sound out of the drum. And for me, that's what it feels like on all my instruments. Like the notes are in there. They're trying to get out. The music's in the air. It's trying to pull the notes out of the instruments. Mm -hmm. And I'm just like the train conductor, just letting it happen and, and trying to put as much feeling into it as I can as you get to a point where you know the material then what we strive for is to put as much feeling and emotion into it so that you're not just a robot playing the parts
0: well and it's it, interesting that you bring that up about about roboticism in playing songs that are really well known where if if a person could recreate Foreigner's biggest hits, they probably could create it almost exactly note for note, production note by production note, because they're so well known. How much then do you try to emulate the original parts that people are familiar with at the same time avoiding sounding like, well, you're just pressing play on an mp3 player or on spotify and just letting that play on stage how do you get as accurate as possible while still bringing uh, something human into that performance
1: it, we use the originals like a framework but we've got to stay within the frame uh, but within that guideline you're allowed to express yourself and there are room there is room for improvisation we have some places where we stretch out and get creative. So it's not going to be a whole night of just playing what's on the album. Uh, and of course, I get to do the saxophone improvisation. So I, that's a wonderful moment of freedom for me. After the uh, sort of recorded solo, we change keys and I get to do my own thing. So that's a kick for me. I can't even describe it. It's so much fun. Uh, so really, it's it's a whole night of of just letting these songs happen. I think, and people respond to it.
0: That the solo in urgent, the Junior Walker solo in urgent. it's I mean, very one of the better known sax solos in all of pop and rock music. Describe oh, the intricacies of learning. The, the again, the framework of the solo so you can then interpret it and, I should really say interpolate that solo. How, how was learning that beyond hearing it and then when you actually start to play it with your own saxophone?
1: It was a long time ago. I started working on it in 1991 I think, early 92. And I've been living with it ever since and trying to fine tune it and I try to play it as close as I can, but it still doesn't sound exactly the same as the album. Uh, but it's just something that I go for. I, I try to nail it. It's like kicking the football through the goalpost. I, I try to nail it every night with those high notes. And I've experimented with different uh, combinations of fingers. You can go on the internet and find 10 different ways to play one of those notes. <laughs> so you got to like, try them all and figure out which one you like. Uh, I have books on on how to use fingers for those high notes. And so you sort of marry the two. Between the books and the Internet, I've got a a nice collection of choices. And then I watch to see how we're doing. I I check the YouTube clips. We used to record the shows to see how it went. And now we just sometimes they're up on YouTube the same day. (laughs) <laughs> it's kind of nice. You don't have to drag that
0: recorder around anymore. That's a good point. Yeah, the quality is actually getting way up there now. They, I mean, there's so many out yeah. there. Where do you, where do you stop? Um, when I was interviewing Jeff Pilson a couple years ago, so, so when Foreigner had a performance kind of around the area, um, I had asked him about learning the bass parts, and he gave me some insight I had never known about all of the bass lines in the original recording of Urgent. Of course, there's one that you play that you play live, but he mentioned how there's like there were three parts. There's one that Rick Wills was playing, one that Mutt Lang was playing, and I think Mick Jones might have been playing. Uh, So there's three there. You can't necessarily follow one. Speaking to the challenging nature of these arrangements and everything that goes into these, what has been the most challenging foreigner song to learn from whatever the part, whether it's vocals, whether it's guitar, sax, keyboard, whatever?
1: There was a song a while ago that we played. It was really A while back, I believe it's called At War With The World. And uh, that song had some challenging riffs in it. We also tried to play Rev On The Red Line ages ago with Lou. And that song is surprisingly (laughs) challenging, too. Uh, But I can't think unless it would be with the symphony, we did some horn arrangement songs where we had the parts written out and I was reading music. Uh, so that was a little bit of a challenge, but of course I had been involved with writing the charts. So I I should have known what was coming. Uh, but it was really fun. It was a blast. So that's really the only challenge that I faced in a long time was having to read notes on a page. Have you heard that old joke about how do you get a guitar player to turn down his amp?
0: I'm sure I have what's the punchline. You put some music in front of them. <laughs> oh boy. Yeah, the musician jokes are classics. I think I've heard them all at this point. <laughs> the best ones are when you get to start, e- you know, start getting like viola player jokes and stuff like that. I mean, there's there's one for oh, everything. Oh, I
1: know. I just heard viola player jokes. (laughs) I didn't know there were any. This classical guys that we were hanging out with were telling us the cello player jokes and the viola player jokes. Oh, yeah. But uh, even guitar players like that joke. That's just
0: funny. (laughs) I guess there's always a kernel of truth to everything, (laughs) too. But how how many Foreigner songs have you performed since you first started working with a band?
1: I've never counted them. Luke, but I'm sure it's thirty or forty or something.
0: Mm-hmm. Is there a foreigner song that you most wish you would you could be able to perform and for whatever reason it, it has never been performed live? I'm sorry, can you say that again? Oh yeah, that's fine. Um, is there? Are there any foreigner songs that you wish that you really want to perform live, and for or or not maybe really, but you'd like to perform live, and for whatever reason, complexity or wh- whatever the reason, you, you the band never has done so. Sure, there's tons of them.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Are
0: we gonna go make a list? If if you had like uh, one to choose, what what would you do? Guess oh, only... what? If, let's oh. just choose one. What would it be? Come on, that's too hard.
1: I want to do a medley. Can I do a medley?
0: Yes, let's do that.
1: Okay, I want it to be between the song 17 and the song Reaction to Action. Okay. You can take those two. You can mash them up side by side, cut the verses and the choruses together. Hmm. I'll Let wait. me know what you come up with. But I always wanted to hear those two in a mashup. Um, they are really badass grooves. And the same with um, <clears throat> Woman in Black. The verse in the Woman in Black song is so
0: cool.
1: Mm. Just tons of great riffs out there to be found in this Foreigner catalog.
0: Well, and of course, part of the issue, I would imagine, is that you are performing hits on tour. And there are so many hits, and that's what the what folks want to hear, well, actually, I should ask you this. What's the first Foreigner song you remember hearing? Was it Was it? Feels Like the First Time, the first single?
1: Yes, pretty sure, yeah. Hot-Blooded was on the radio a lot, too, but I think that was their second mm-hmm. album.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: What was... Cold as Ice. Everyone heard Cold as Ice. It's like, everybody knows that song, so that probably had a huge effect on folks that heard it on the radio.
0: Mm-hmm. What's, what would be your absolute favorite foreigner song if you could if you could only perform one foreigner song the rest of your life what would it be?
1: Oh, probably that was yesterday.
0: Okay. Inter- Tough. In- Tough. Interesting choice with that one. Um, and I I should say that at some point if foreigner gets back around here on the Eau Claire area. I've got to go to one of the shows. But on the on the more so you play keyboards more on the 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 softer ones. We're talking like waiting for a girl like you and getting into and those those yeah, sorts of songs. Yeah. Um True. that from that album Back to 4 that I, I that seems to just be a wealth of musicianship on that one. But that's the one obviously that had Thomas Dolby per, performing on that. Yeah. Um that's right. and working with that. Uh, how does that that influence, and I'm not just necessarily to say a keyboard part, but that influence translate to performing it in a live setting and trying to take that perspective and bring that out into a live show, because you've been doing that song now for you know a quarter century. How does that work?
1: We put a lot of time and effort into helping uh, Michael get his keyboard sounds together, but most of the, the floaty Tom Dolby stuff, he had... Uh, Already dialed in. He's a phenomenal programmer, Michael Bluestein. Been with us now over ten years. So this supposedly new band is uh, older than a lot of bands <laughs> <laughs> ever get to be. So he's he's phenomenal. He did most of it, and Jeff and I would actually sing. You know these these machines nowadays. You sing into them, and then they play it back. So we sang uh, some of the backgrounds to recreate that. 10 cc thing on waiting for a girl like you ah Mm. and uh so that gives it a a real airy sound but um if you have people that really focus their attention to detail you can tell when it's right and when we listen to what michael's doing it's it's perfect so fortunately we have a guy like that that really digs in and gets the details
0: Speaking of choirs and the choir sound, I know that you have brought local high school choirs, I believe, on stage for. I think it is for. I want to know what love is. Um, yeah. Correct me if I'm wrong. Are you still doing that, or for this upcoming tour? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Absolutely. Where did? And I know it's. It, it, it. We'll get into the music education part in just a bit. But where was the? What was the genesis of the idea to work with local high school choirs to bring them on stage?
1: The uh, song itself has a gospel choir singing on it, Luke. And originally it was, I think, the New New Jersey State Choir. So over the years, going back as long as I've been working with the band, occasionally they would ask local choirs to come up and sing, whether it was from a church or a youth group or what have you. And about 10 years ago, Everyone was saying, "Look at these schools, they're taking away. Their music program is terrible." And uh, Mick Jones came up with the idea. Well, maybe we can have some of their choirs come and sing with us, and we'll make a donation to their program. And that's really how it got started and the simplicity of it. But we're also trying to raise awareness and tell people that uh, music is so important. you don't want to have it taken away from your school kids. And if there's anything we can do, that's what we're trying to do.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, that's it's it touches me in particular because I, I was in my high school choir program here in Eau Claire, and I mean, choirs basically been my right. been been my life. Uh, so that's something here at our radio station every so often. If we could think of something to help with that, so what would you say if anyone's listening right now, and especially here in the Eau Claire area, where, like I said, high school music and college music is huge and then there's all the adult there are actually multiple adult choral ensembles here in the city so it's a, it's, it's it's a heart it's a hotbed around here so what would you say having essentially been part of this and with your music education yourself and your career what would you say is the best way to encourage students to want to take part in music education but also what do you think is the best way to make sure that there is an education in the schools for them to take
1: It's probably going to start with the parents, and and I would just imagine that the channels are from the Board of Education to the PTA, possibly all the way to the congressman. Uh, But there are ways to find out what's going on with the funding and to get involved with it. I just think that if there's a voice there, then that's the key. So folks have to know about this. And then it's pretty simple. You can contact the Board of Education. You can say, what's going on with the music program? How can we help? Uh, Sometimes they have fun drives. There's all sorts of things that, that parents do. And as far as the kids go, I think they were probably not doing anything wrong. They just came in one day and everyone said, hand in your instruments. So that's Never a good thing. you know. I think kids can get into trouble, and, and the whole fun of being in a choir or a band is that you're part of this group activity. So that's a lot of reason that sometimes people stay out of trouble. It made me want to keep going to school. I would get there early if I had a music class. <laughs> uh, you know, I still got into some trouble, but maybe not as much if there hadn't been a music school, a music program. So I I just think it's important. Also, I wanted to do music more than anything else, and this was a way where I could start doing it. I started playing in a school band in fifth grade. I was a drummer, and I loved it. There's there's discipline there, and there's uh, learning to work with other people together. These are things that are pretty important (laughs) later in life, not to mention the people you meet.
0: Mm -hmm. Um, Hopefully we can get foreigner in eau claire at some point because i was thinking well which choir would in that or band i mean even there's so many schools around here i think you'd probably have to do a best of or something like that because who would you leave out (laughs) if you came seriously if you come up around the eau claire Chippewa falls area there's a lot around here so i'd love it if someone makes some arrangement to get you guys up here you're not going to be hurting for finding music ensembles in the area high schools around here
1: We have done mega choirs where we'll take parts from uh, different reigning schools, if there's mm-hmm. too many good ones in the area. Right.
0: That probably would be the best way so everyone feels like they yeah. they have a part of that. You guys are, speaking of combining ensembles, you're combining with Europe and Kansas to go on tour later this summer. The Jukebox Heroes Tour will be coming up, going around other parts of the country or the parts of the planet later on. How did you guys decide to hook up with those two bands?
1: I think there's a machine somewhere in this uh, Live Nation. You know Live Nation is the conglomerate that puts these packages together. And I think they feed data into a computer old old fa- old style, right, with a tape or something. <laughs> and then the computer thinks about it and, and tells what it believes to be the right package for the summer. So I I think that they look at it and they get suggestions from live nation and they go, yeah, we've worked with Kansas before. We love those guys and they sound so good live. People gotta, gotta come to see that one. And same with Europe. We played with them overseas. These are bands that we know sound fantastic live. I think that's a huge part of it. And it's a nice, uh, joint effort, a lot of great songs together. So we're we're looking forward to it. I think people are going to love it.
0: What's your favorite uh, song of each one of the bands?
1: Kansas, you, I would probably say "Carry On My Wayward Son," and Europe. Uh, I think the final countdown is the one that most people know. So. Those would probably be my
0: obvious choices. This is, those are some good ones. So you've now, like, I, I, I was talking to my wife, uh, we were at lunch earlier before I came back to work and talking about the interview coming up, and I said, you know, this, this, it's to the point now with some of the bands, when we talk to when i do some of these interviews i realize i'm talking to someone who maybe they weren't in the lineup when the big hit singles were happening but they have now been in the band longer than some of the quote unquote classic lineups and they're i mean they they've spent so much time with these bands you you step back and go wow how i can't believe yeah what what this is going to be one of those really vague questions to ask but i'm going to ask it anyway how does it feel to be a quarter-century-plus, when you add up all the time of the band's activity, a quarter-century-plus member of a band that you grew up hearing their hits on the radio?
1: That That's pretty wild. I never thought of it in those terms, uh, but I do think about it in the sense of, what was I doing 25 years ago? How old am I now? Let's subtract 25, figure out how old I was then. And I love going back in time and remembering details like meeting Mick and Lou for the first time, what they were like. We talked a little bit about what Mick was like. (laughs) (laughs) But Lou was also in his prime. He was he was like doing kickboxing and weight training. and He was really singing like no one had ever heard before uh so that was a marvelous time we all went to the gym a lot in those days we played hard and we partied hard and we worked hard uh so i think since my nose has kind of been to the grindstone uh, the whole time i haven't really looked around that much i'm starting to now (laughs) as we look back over the decades or coming up on 30 i'm like wait a minute 30 years it's fun, and uh, the time flies because we're having fun, and I'm as excited now as I was the first time we played. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I love the guys in the band. I love playing this music with them. Uh, so I'm just like that little kid. I haven't really haven't changed. I just haven't changed at all. I can't wait to, to, to jam and play and rock out.
0: Well, folks around here will get the opportunity to do that coming up, especially in western Wisconsin, to go to the one at March 13th, Treasure Island Resort and Casino. Foreigner, the hits on tour, of course, the two days before in Milwaukee at the Riverside, two days after the Treasure Island show, down to the Sylvie in Madison Tom Gimble of Foreigner this has been a really fun chat and an insightful chat and thank you for taking some time to talk uh, talk with us today and best of luck on all the touring you have coming up later on this year have a blast with Foreigner
1: Thanks so much Luke it was really good talking with you you seem like you uh, really know a lot about music
0: <laughs> It's it's a lot of fun music Very to insightful. music to follow so keep up the keep up the good work take care Thanks bud. A fun interview with Tom Gimble of Foreigner. He plays a bunch of instruments with the band. And you can learn more about the band and Tom Gimble at ForeignerOnline.com. That's ForeignerOnline.com. They're well engaged on social media. You can follow them on Facebook, etc. And they will be performing live again as soon as the pandemic settles and we're able to have live performances, Foreigner will be right back out on the road. Thanks, as always, to Greatest Hits 98.1 Radio in Eau Claire, Wisconsin, for providing facilities to do all of these interviews In the Got Time for a Quick Story podcast. You can listen to a lot of these interviews at GreatestHits98.1.com. Click on Interviews and you'll find a lot of the same interviews you hear here in this podcast. Also, you can subscribe to Got Time for a Quick Story at Apple, Android. Or via Apple and Android, I should say. Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, and rate it up as well. That'll help spread the word about this particular podcast. Got time for a quick story? I'm Luke Anthony.